as the crow flies on the Vance Crow Podcast. Julie Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Vance. Thanks for having me. So uh, I've been doing this series. I've done about 11 interviews, and my goal has been that I think the coronavirus is going to uh, kick open the doors of the Overton window, that the ideas that once were never allowed into society or, or would have been very, very difficult to push in because of the fear, because of the danger, because of all kinds of different reasons, the Overton window is wide open and society is going to change. Uh, for better or for worse. And so the thing that I thought I could do during this time when my wife are are quarantining ourselves or keeping ourselves out of regular society is sit down and talk with people that have all different kinds of perspectives about how the virus is playing out, what the ramifications are from a health perspective, political, industrial. And uh, so you are, of course, somebody that I'm very interested in because you almost always have a different take. You don't care so much what society thinks. But I announced that we were going to do this podcast and on Twitter, and about 12 hours later, a group of people started saying, you should not have Julie Kelly on there. If you have her on there, the blood of the people that will die because of it will be on your hands. And I was like, what in the hell is going on here? So what is going on here, Julie? Why are people reacting so strongly to the things that you're saying? Well, let's be clear who is saying that. So these are former allies of mine when we were all together defending biotechnology and GMOs and taking on the phony organic industry. So this was pre-November of 2016. So this was a really unusual, and this is how you and I obviously connected. This was kind of an unusual alliance of scientists, mostly from the left, and then farm and ag interests, mostly on the right, who kind of converged to defend biotechnology and take on the organic industry. Then Donald Trump won in November of 2016. Some of us who voted for Donald Trump became the enemy of our one-time allies, and now they were still on the outs with them. And so this is a small group of these expert scientists um, who think that they know everything, don't want to hear a, a different opinion from somebody who voted for somebody and supports a president that they detest. So those were the handful of uh, critics on, on your thread yesterday. So it was interesting because um, a few months ago, this guy named Yosha Bach, who I interviewed before, uh, was talking about coronavirus, and he was doing it so much. He's a pretty good friend of mine. I wrote him and said, "Hey, Yosha, I think your your the virus has infected your mind. I don't think you you should be talking about this as much." And he was completely open with me. He was like, "Okay, tell me about your point of view." And then a few months later, as coronavirus has played out in much the way that he was predicting, or at least the fear of it is. Um, I, I apologized to him. I was like, hey, I didn't know what I was saying there. Like, you clearly knew something. I'm glad you were sounding an alarm and people should have done things differently. And he was like, oh, I never had a problem with you telling me something different than what I believe. Like, I thought maybe you knew something about the world that I didn't. And that's exactly what I think about with you. So you have had a contrary take on coronavirus, but give people just a general uh, overview of what you're saying that, that seems different than what maybe the mainstream view is. So um, I think that, well, first of all, I started looking at some of the data um, about, I think my biggest concern, and it's still a huge gap in the information and the data that we have, 
is how many cases of coronavirus were in the United States from mid-January to March 1st when widespread testing began. It's impossible to believe, given how much this was spreading around the world, um, and the first confirmed case was in Washington State, confirmed on January 21st. It's impossible to think that all of a sudden these cases started arriving on March 1st. That's a huge gap in the data. So I started questioning why don't we have some predictions? You know, I followed climate science for a long time. They can model temperatures from 1876, but we can't have any case predictions in mid-February. So I went to the CDC. They have really some great data there. And I started to look at um, what's called influenza-like illness. So these are symptoms that the CDC tracks every year, actually by week. It's really drilled down uh, data. And so I started to look at- And those are the was, cases that are like flu, but they can't name it as flu? Right. So, they, so they're symptoms of flu. People who go to the doctor or their healthcare provider complaining of flu-like symptoms. Now we know coronavirus and the flu mimic each other in terms of symptoms, right? There's a little bit discrepancy now with some stomach issues, but for the most part, they are identical. So I wanted to look at now, and the description of flu-like is what you just said. So there are symptoms that mimic the flu, but for the most case, they're not diagnosed as either influenza A or B. During the first few weeks of February, there was a huge spike nationwide of people going to healthcare providers complaining of flu-like symptoms. I saw the testing chart. 70% of the people who tested for the flu virus during that period tested negative. Um, I also had my own daughter who's very ill in New York State. She goes to college in New York in February, same symptoms, uh, chest issues, you know, like trouble breathing, went to go get a flu test, it was negative. We heard this a lot. And the article that I wrote, and I'm not bragging, but it's been shared about 350,000 times just in the past week, because it resonated with people, that people were sick, same flu symptoms, test negative for flu. So at any rate, I'm going right off of data. So gaps in data and the data that might support the fact that coronavirus has been here, that there's a small chance that at least the nationwide peak is behind us instead of ahead of us. So that was the suggestion in my article. I didn't make it up. I didn't just base it off my daughter being sick. I mean, these are numbers that are available on the CDC website. So I'm also a data-driven person too. And there's, and so that's really where this all began, plus the background of how this is devastating our economy, individual lives, families, professions, small businesses, taking, the, taking all of this into account. It's interesting because uh, the thing that you're describing about your daughter and about people getting these flu, like my good buddy, Jared McDaniel, back in, I don't know, early February, got so sick that like we have general talk, like we talk every single day with a group of people, and he just fell off the map. And, like, it's very unlike him. He was, like, in pretty good shape. He jogs every day, and he just stopped everything. And uh, and I've heard it from several other people that they got really, really sick. And I think that there's a lot of people that, in some ways, they think, my God, I hope that's the only that's, – that's what coronavirus was because I got through that, and I that's don't want right. to do it again. And it was really, really bad. Why does the idea that the peak happened at a different time – why does this concern other people? What are you reading into why why they have such a strong aversion to what you're saying? Um, I don't know because I think that there are people on the left, right? So this is 
this is what the left wants. And they to want be clear, to- you for people that don't know you, you are a conservative writer, well known in conservative political circles. You talk about all kinds of political issues, everything from climate change and organic, but also the the Trump um, uh, impeachment trials, all those things, like very in in depth. And so, le- the world is left right in in a lot of ways for your world. Yes, sorry, I, I shouldn't say left, I, but I think that and and. I, but you raise a good point. So following scientific activism and following data and charts, et cetera, um, is not new for me. So that's how you and I originally connected is I started really diving into biotechnology. I started really diving into climate change. I'm prepared for any criticism after questioning climate science and being uh, targeted by the climate cabal. Nobody is more unreasonable than those people. So this is not something that's new for me. Actually, it's it, it's kind of interesting to get back to that instead of the Mueller investigation or FISA gate or whatever. <clears throat> so, um, but the this is, if you look at the agenda of say the far left Democrat, Democratic Party, progressive politicians, this is kind of the scenario that they want. It's certainly what the climate cabal wants, right? So they want the stock market to tank. They want control over people's lives. Um, they want people reliant on government, which we see now with this, you know, trillion, $2 trillion stimulus package, which we're going to see more of that. So this is really a way, I think, for them to leverage a crisis and, and to get I saw this reflected in the House Democrat, Nancy. They wanted to get through uh, provisions of the Green New Deal. They wanted new subsidies for renewable energy. They wanted a whole Christmas tree list of, or Christmas list of far left progressive uh, policy agendas that have nothing to do with trying to mitigate the severe economic damage that people are suffering based on these shutdowns across the country. So there's a huge political agenda behind this, too. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that I necessarily think that people wanted the stock market to collapse, but I do think that people are saying, hey, now that we have the open checkbook, let's just go ahead and write the check for all these other projects that we wanted. And I think for somebody like me, um, that's just sitting uh, on the outside. I don't like politics. I, I actually actively avoid these kinds of conversations. But you see a word like two trillion, and it becomes like um, that things are make believe. That 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 because like I don't even know how you count to a trillion. Is it a thousand billion? Is it a million billion? I, I don't actually know. And maybe other people can laugh at me because I don't know these numbers. But we're talking about numbers that are so large that how could you possibly in the two weeks or the three weeks that led up to coronavirus, you write a document that says this money is going to the right places to help mitigate a disaster. So talk, talk a little bit about what what is in this package, this $2 trillion package. So, I mean, obviously it goes to state and local governments. I mean, we saw the huge unbelievable jump in unemployment claims, 3.2 million people filing for unemployment. That's only part of the reflection of people who are out of work right now. So it's sending also checks to uh, individuals, but it's kind of based on your income. So I think if you make over $100,000 a year, you're not going to get any kind of compensation from the government. Um, And so it's uh, most of the bill I'm not a fan of, just because I don't think that what we've done necessitates 
these huge, costly government fixes at every level. I mean, so this is only at the national level. Look at states, local governments. Um, I mean, we are just at the tip of the iceberg of what the huge consequences of these shutdowns will cause. You think more stimulus uh, packages will be signed and put into law? More, More money will be printed? Probably, because this is only going to get worse. I mean, if this trajectory of unemployment claims continues um, and these severe lockdowns not only continue, but they spread across the country, um, you're looking at at least probably 10 million people who will file for unemployment by the middle of April. That doesn't include small business but you know, little small businesses or your neighborhood restaurant or bar or pub or whatever that will completely shut down. Little, I mean, small businesses across the country. They had a survey come out yesterday. One third of Americans have already been either know somebody in their family or are already suffering a layoff or a firing, a dismissal because of these consequences. That's only going to increase. We are, put, we are putting ourselves into a great depression era uh, economy. What are the health consequences of that? What are the health consequences of these lockdowns? I mean, there's so many unknowns and variables. So for people like who were on Twitter yesterday, for scientists who are so incurious about the missing data, about data that might support something that they don't believe, and to refuse to consider the severe, harsh consequences for every American based on what we've been told uh, based on sketchy data um, has nothing to do with science. That's all politics. One of the things that's become very clear to me, something that I, I maybe even before the coronavirus came out was I kind of felt like I had a really good filter for propaganda. I was like, I know when that side is trying to get me to do something. And I know when that side is trying to get me to do something. And now in all of this coronavirus stuff, I began to realize that I had really strong opinions about how things were going. And yet, if somebody were to probe any one of those opinions, any one of them, I wouldn't actually have knowledge of what's going on there. Like, I have a generalized understanding of how coronavirus impacts the lungs. I have a kind of a knowledge about what percentage of people die if they get it, but not really. And I found myself getting in a position where I would hear somebody having a different opinion than me and get angry with them. And one of the things that I've learned over time is that if you get angry with somebody over their opinion, oftentimes it's because you don't you don't have a place of knowledge that you're coming from. You have an opinion that's been given to you and it's being threatened. Now, there are some people, doctors that are saying, I am watching people die of coronavirus is very serious. I want people to stay at home. I'm not saying they are not uh, correct in their opinion on, on those things. But me personally, a guy you know, sitting in his house for the last two weeks, I probably should have strong opinions loosely held, you know, where I'm willing to give them up and, and let them go. Do you feel the same way? Um, I, I do in a way. There are people who I really respect and like as people uh, on our kind of this side of the political aisle who have a totally different opinion than I do, who have kind of bought into this panic porn, as they call it, about coronavirus. Um, I I, I kind of understand where they're coming from because it's scary. I mean, this is a very scary thing. And when you stand up and question it, you are automatically, okay, well, you want grandma to die because you are only, you're questioning this data. You're questioning the, um, 
measures that are being taken to mitigate this. So you don't care about old people. So it, it's preposterous. Um, but I, yes, so, but I do think <clears throat> that we all suffer from confirmation bias. Everybody has that. So you have an opinion, you look for evidence that's going to support that. The problem is right now that the people who are most panicked over coronavirus, who want these stringent nationwide lockdowns for who knows how long, simply don't have the scientific data to back up the claim that number one, it's necessary or effective. Number two, that it could completely backfire in the fall. Because as we isolate people, we're not giving people, and we could talk a little bit about the antibody studies that are going to be uh, needed. You're not um, putting healthy people with antibodies into the greater public so you can kind of develop that natural herd immunity to something like this um, as it's going to, this virus is going to, you know, somehow contort itself if it does. So there's a lot of unknowns about the future. How is this going to impact then the second wave, which Dr. Fauci has already talked about, which we know is coming, which happened with the swine flu, it happens with these viruses. Have we shortchanged ourselves by taking these extreme measures not promoting people way to get healthy. Actually, is there a way that we are we are depressing people's immunity by keeping them at home, by not even allowing them to go outside, any kind of physical activity. Health gyms, you know, are shut down all over the place. They're eating more, they're more inactive, they're drinking more. How does this affect people's immunity? I mean, there's a whole lot of variables that I think. And this is the conversation we're not having right now, right? Because what, what you see having happening is to say, unless you agree with the absolute shutdown and, and that it should be enforced, you're bad. Like you are a bad person. And I, that's, that's like the fundamental part of this whole podcast series that I've been working on, which is it only benefits us to have as different ideas and people that are saying, Hey, let's not run all the way with this. Like, and I can remember, so my wife and I went into, um, whatever you call it, seclusion, social distancing, uh, maybe a week, week and a half before everybody else did, because we were watching this and my wife's pregnant. So I was really concerned about this. I was kind of in favor for the first time in my life. And I'm a pretty hardcore libertarian to say like, you know, I really wish they would tell those other people to do what I'm doing. But the day the order went into place, when I went to bed at night and I was free to leave my house, and then in the morning, I'm no longer allowed to do that, it really hit me. The First Amendment is now gone. Like it's, and, and it only really took about three weeks of fear to get most people to agree with it. And maybe that's the right decision, but maybe it's not. And that, like, where's the discussion about how dangerous it is to hand over to people that I don't, I never pay attention to local elections. And now these people decide whether my wife and I can leave our house. I'm scared of coronavirus. And yet I don't want somebody else to have that power. I don't think that's wrong to have that sensation. It's not wrong. It's necessary because, you know, this has brought out the inner tyrant in every elected official from Republicans to Democrats from governors to homeowners associations, presidents. I mean, we're dealing with this now. They took away the pool. I mean, this is a nothing. They took away outdoor pool furniture because that transmits coronavirus. You're in, it's in the sun. It's been in the high 80s here. There are legitimate studies that show that UV rays and humidity kill the virus. So 
is the science little piece of control over this? And that is not just con condition now, that's the frightening trajectory of this is that in the climate, people have tried this for years. I know I keep going back to climate, but there's a lot of similarities. This is what they've tried to use climate science to do as well. Um, and so this is, you know, to them, not, a, I don't want to say a gift, but they're certainly exploiting it as much as they can. So you're right. Our instinct as Americans is what? If the government tells us not to do it, we, we want to do it unless we have a really good reason why we shouldn't um, for our I mean, own individual sake and the and, common good. Th those are all fair considerations. And you can completely understand why a local official would want this power. And it's not necessarily because they're evil and they and they you know want to um it's that they want to make it easier right they 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 see that it's much easier if somebody has the authority and the power to um say you there quit doing what you're doing and i don't know but the way it's been meted out i don't know how it is where you are there's a lockdown order there are a lot of people still going to work in my neighborhood they're they're still running around and doing things so you have this weird situation where the government is actually saying you guys are cool to keep earning a living and everybody else isn't like this is a very unfair system and it's going to breed resentment you have a month of this where there are some people out with a, a, a license from the government to be out and about and other people have to become dependent so it brings up real problems it does and even as you're starting to look at the unemployment data the people who are hardest hit as we would imagine are low wage workers um people who are making under fifty thousand dollars a year so of course these are people in the service indus industry who are being completely uh decimated and who knows how long until that comes back so um you're right so this is going to cause all kinds of class conflicts and you know, conflicts within families and communities. But I, I do want to raise one point about the isolation. You and I talked about this a little bit. When you have governors as diverse as Andrew Cuomo in New York and Ron DeSantis down here in Florida, now questioning the logic and the effectiveness of shutting down schools and colleges and putting healthy kids in with vulnerable populations, locking them in with their families um, for weeks on end, they both now are questioning that. So uh, what does that mean now? Well, it's too late now because there was no science. There was no evidence. There was nothing to back up. We literally went from social distancing and not staying six feet away from people, staying six feet away from people for who were ill or expressing symptoms for a prolonged period of time. We went from that to total lockdowns in a matter of 72 hours without any data or science or even common sense to back that up. Um, and so now here we are, but what do we do now? How do you start walking this back? It's almost yeah, and, impossible. And I, I, I've, so what is your family personally doing? How are you guys responding to the disease is, is I mean, you're, you're down. If For anybody that's not watching this on video, you have these beautiful palm trees. I can see, I think, water behind you. It's, you're down in Florida? Yes. So we're down in southwestern Florida. Um, we've been here for a few weeks. Luckily, we had somewhere to, I, we live in suburban Chicago, so luckily we were able to escape down here. Um, my daughter attends uh, Syracuse University in New York, upstate New York, so they canceled the rest of the semester. So she's here. So she's home for five months now, uh, which in a way is a huge gift because pretty soon she's going to you know, leave the nest. And so it's nice to have some extra time with her. But what is she going to do for five months? Um, 
I have a high, daughter in high school. We're still waiting to hear uh, if she's going to be going back to school at all. So we're down here. We're seeing friends. I mean, the restaurants are closed. There's still some, uh, a lot of stores open down here. Um, they haven't done any kind of statewide lockdown or local lockdown where we are. Um, I, I suspect that my daughter already had it. So I feel at least relief for her. Um, and are you so, worried about getting it? I now I don't want to answer that because as soon as <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not because uh, I mean, I think I, I'm just not as worried, I think, as a lot of people are, I, so, I mean, which means I'll probably tomorrow. I, I mean, I, I, I applaud that. I, I've been in a situation where there's too much ambiguity for me. So for me, I told you, you know, Anne's pregnant. And I, like for me, it was like, I don't really know what the consequences are. And we're in a position where we can, you know, uh, bunker into our houses. But there are a lot of people that can't. And, and I don't know what that means. Because if you lock these people in their houses, you have to support them. In the same way that I think that if if what yeah i think there's just i think that you're correct in this in a big way about we have to be able to have these discussions about how are we as a society going to handle this using the force of law because it's not obvious and it shouldn't be obvious to anybody that because we are afraid we should institute large authoritarian government control it it feels like to me instead of people praying to god which is maybe what they would have done in the past they're now praying to the state and Neither one of those answers is going to solve your problem necessarily. And look at what has been done. And I mean, you have a lot of conspiracy theorists. I am not one of them who think that a lot of this is orchestrated in an election year to damage Trump or to take down Trump, because, of course, we've seen one thing after the other uh, to try to do that. I really don't. I definitely think there are politicians in the media who are, again, leveraging this to to weaponize against Trump. But that's beside the but point. people on the right everybody is using the chaos as a ladder i i don't there's no like sanctity on the right more than the sanctity on the left right you, you agree with that no except that you have had the left for more than three years do anything make up any story use any kind of crisis to try to sabotage and take down this president it's unprecedented and so it's hard for a lot of people to separate that that is one thing that i i am trying to do and i I don't think I've been promoting that because I really would rather look at the evidence. Um, but back to your point about being worried about getting coronavirus or not, um, there are now some good studies coming out. And I, I think I sent it to you and we can link it whenever this comes out. Stanford um, doctors, scientists uh, who are predicting, well, they want the antibody test, right? So that's going to be the big, and Dr. Burke talked about this the other day. It's very important to get these antibody tests available to see who already has it, who had it. There are some estimates that as many as 6 million people in the United, United States have had it and have already recovered. If that is the case, that's really a good sign in terms of that there was a, an outbreak, which I suspected, or at least produced data that shows that it might have. Our healthcare system, for the most part, absorbed it, that a lot of people had this, didn't even know about it, or had it, thought it was something else, and recovered. So those are all really positive signs, right? But we're not allowed, again, we're not allowed to talk about that. We're not to ask, to ask those questions, because we are only focusing in on this very small slice. What the Stanford doctor had said is we're not that 
prevents us from accurately calculating the mortality rate from this because you're only looking at people who have tested positive and then the number of people who have died. It's not the number of people, say, since the middle of January through March 1st in the United States who had it, who recovered. And that has to be factored into calculating the final mortality rate. Um, and so there's just huge gaps in what we know and what we don't know. That's the biggest thing, right? We can't take these huge unknowns and, uh, and use that and apply it to these draconian and in some cases tyrannical government measures that will impact every single American. I mean, no one is going to escape this economic damage. Yeah, and I've, I've said this before, that many of the uh, dictators that have happened in the modern age have all come about when there was a disease around and people said, what can we do to stop this? We need somebody, some some father figure, some authoritarian to come in and clean it up. And frankly, if, if this disease gets as out of control as people are talking about, I'm pretty sure people will, will want an even stronger force of government than they have right now. And I don't know what any of that means. It, I'm just, I, for me as a spectator of culture, the thing that has been so fascinating is I am on the same pendulum as society. Some days I wake up and I'm like, oh God, everything's burning down. And then there's other times when I'm like, oh, it's perfectly fine. Everybody just chill out for a little while. And But in the meantime, laws are getting written, money is being printed, things are changing. And uh, so it's good to be hearing lots of perspectives right now because whatever one you have in your brain, there's no way it's completely right. Dangerous precedents are being set. So what happens when this crops up again in October, November, December? Will these same measures be instituted again? Um, well, I mean, this And is, what if you need them and people don't listen to them now because they're so pissed about what happened before? And you hear a lot of people saying, I'm going to do this one time. I'm going to make these sacrifices. I'm going to watch my job loss. I'm going to watch my kids' job. I mean, these kids. They're gone, right? So, uh, and that's not reflected in unemployment data, but we'll make these sacrifices for the common good to make sure vulnerable people are protected, the country is protected. We'll do it now, but it's going to be, it, and that is the danger. What if, what if this is needed again? Um, and I and saw, so, I saw a Twitter uh, video, and who knows? It's completely unsubstantiated. I don't know if it's real or not, but, but it was in China where uh, a group of people had their province locked down for 60 days, and then they were finally let out to be able to get out of lockdown and go to work. They go to cross a bridge to get into another province where they can work, and those people have their border police there saying, no, you don't come in here. So if you start having the world, this country, think there are some people that are diseased and some people that aren't and some people that you – that's where conflict really starts happening and violence happens, which is why we need to talk about this instead of waiting until we get to the point of real conflict. Well, let's talk about that a little bit and how it applies to the United States. Um, New York, the state of New York, and I have an article about this, did not prepare themselves for this crisis. They did not take any steps to prevent infected people from coming into their state. In fact, Andrew Cuomo, the governor, who now is heralded as a big hero, actually bragged this week that the reason why New York has so many more cases than anywhere else is because they are the front door, they're the open door to the world. Now, that's not smart policy, right? That's not really something you should brag about. More than half of the cases, the positive tests, 
are in New York State. A quarter of our country's total positive tests are in New York City alone. He did not prepare for this, neither did Bill de Blasio. And so the question, now you have states like Florida and Texas, even Rhode Island, who is you know, obviously run by a Democrat, they are telling New Yorkers, you're not welcome here. And if you come here, and I believe I saw something, New Jersey police are looking for license plates from New York and are going to, now I, I just saw this today, so I'm not confirming it, but stopping New Yorkers from leaving and going somewhere else. If you come to Florida or Texas and you're from New York or New Jersey, they want you to self-quarantine for 14 days. So they put themselves in danger. They did not prepare for this crisis. In fact, they opened their doors to in possibly infected people from around the world, bragged about it, and now you have New Yorkers who want to get out of there, but you have states like Florida where there's no widespread cases of coronavirus at all. Even with one of the highest population, uh, vulnerable populations, older people, you don't have that at all. So you're having states now say, no, we, we don't want you to come here because we don't want you bringing your diseases here. Yeah, to I, your point. I, but, uh, I watched a video, and I'll link it um, the same way I'll link the video that you were talking about uh, with the Stanford scientists. But I watched a video by a guy that does, it's called Three Blue, One Brown, and it's all about statistics, and he runs these models. And uh, the, the model that was the scariest, because he's kind of showing how um, infections spread, and uh, the model that was the scariest was when you intermix all these communities and you keep having communities where there's one community that's a hotbed for outbreak and people are going and coming from there. That was the one that where where it spread out the fastest and it, it did all these weird things. So I'll, anyway, I'll link that. But to your point, if you then start having people on the lookout for the guy with the Brooklyn accent, that's not good. You know, like that's that's bad. That's that's when people start thinking. I'm going to go get justice where it wasn't gotten before. That's right. And so as much as, <clears throat> well, I don't want to say people aren't playing the blame game because a lot of people are playing the, playing the blame game against uh, the president. I don't think everything that he's done has been perfect either. I think the biggest thing that he did was halt, tra halt travel from China to the United States at the end of January. That probably was the best thing to do. Um, but you have a state or city that did not prepare, did not prevent its citizens from getting infected with this virus. And now, like I said, now they want to leave and go to other places. And you have people that have taken other precautionary me measures who are impacting their school children, their small businesses, et cetera, preventing those asking them to take on the sacrifice, how can you then allow people who might be potentially infected into their state or their communities? That doesn't make sense either. Um, and so, but you're not, I mean, so those questions, those criticisms are legitimate as this continues to unfold because you have huge parts of the country that aren't affected by this at all. Yeah. I think uh, I think we're in this amazing time right now because in past pandemics, you couldn't spread people around as fast as you can and you can't spread ideas around. And so in, uh, diseases move much faster, but so do ideas. Julie, I could clearly talk with you all day about this. Um, and I'm so grateful 
um, that, that you have an opinion and you're not afraid to share it. I, I am personally quite concerned about the virus, but I am definitely interested in hearing somebody that says there's another way to look at this. So I am, I am deeply glad that you're in my network and that you're willing to say things that you believe, even though people don't like you for saying it. I'm used to it, but thank you. I'm so proud of you and all the work that you've been doing. We've been friends for, you know, what, uh, last several years. And uh, I think that you're so open-minded and allowing these platforms uh, are really important. So thank you for having me on. Well, be safe and enjoy your time with your family and use that as the gift that it is. So thank you, Julie, so much. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. (laughs) 